Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God, His people, and His purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. Morning, church. Welcome to Aleth Hill. Um, I was reading in the social media, Facebook the other day, uh, a story of a little girl who's asking her father if this coronavirus thing is really the end of the world. And to many, it may certainly look like this. Looking at the, the Bible, looking for some hope and direction in the Bible, I can read in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. Reading this verse, this might not match our circumstances of today. We might feel there is a clear disconnect between our life and what this Bible verse says. We may be feeling that the Lord's plans right now are actually not that good, if we're honest. Nor do we feel that our future is full of hope. It's easy to look at the mess around us, the chaos that we see in the news every day. People fighting over toilet roll and hand sanitizer. People profiteering from charging crazy amounts of money for everyday products. Shops and businesses closed up and down the country. Church buildings closed, flights grounded, people out of work, financial markets in a meltdown. Not to mention, we're not even allowed to leave our own homes without due reason. We have put if we've put our hope in some or all of these things, it is so easy to think, is this really the end of the world? The end of what I believed and hoped for in my life? 2,000 years ago, there were many who had put their hope in Jesus, hoping that he was the Messiah. He was the one to rescue them from Roman oppression. And yet they watched their hope carrying that rough, heavy cross through the streets of Jerusalem. They watched their hope being whipped and beaten beyond recognition. They watched their hope being nailed to a cross that he had carried. They watched their hope hanging there bleeding. Then they heard their hope breathe his last words, it is finished. For those believers watching Jesus die on the cross, they would have agreed with that statement. Their hope was indeed finished. I don't think we're underestimate the turmoil and pain of those disciples during this time. Perhaps difficult for Peter. Peter had not left Jesus in particularly good terms. He had denied Jesus after all three times, just as his master foretold. These disciples, they had left their livelihood, even their family. Their entire life was left behind to follow Jesus, to put their whole hope and all they had in life into their walk with Jesus because they believed that he was the one. He was the Messiah. He was the one that the Old Testament foretold only to see him being arrested then handed over to the Romans to be crucified on a cross. Gripped with fear and confusion and hopelessness they ran and hid just as it was foretold in the Old Testament. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It is in those difficult times of life, in times of great stress, I believe that for many, the typical human reaction is to look for something that will bring comfort, 
something that is familiar, that can serve as a distraction to the pain or fear or hopelessness that we are currently feeling. Then the chaos that we see today for those who've had their lives turned upside down by this coronavirus, their livelihood ripped from under them, their finances stripped bare, loved ones in hospital. It's so easy to lose hope and instead to look for comfort, to look for something familiar and anything that can offer a distraction from what really is going on. And we can read that something similar in John 21. The scene is set where Jesus has died and although the disciples have seen him as the risen Christ, they must have felt bewildered and confused as to what all this meant to them. There was no New Testament to read through to understand the full story, the complete picture. Not to mention Peter still had this burden of guilt after denying Jesus three times and he so badly wanted to make amends. So Peter and some of the other disciples head back to the Sea of Galilee, back to fishing, back to their old ways, back to what was familiar to them, back to the place where their walk with Jesus started, to the place where they had witnessed and been part of so many miracles. But now they were on their own, confused and unclear what was next. What were they meant to do? Where were they meant to go? What did the future hold for them? Jesus was not there to answer the growing number of questions, nor to quench the guilt that Peter so heavily felt. So they headed out for a night of fishing, something that was familiar to them, something that Peter was really good at. He had built up a career, successful career out of fishing in the past before Jesus. They spent their nights throwing their nets into dark waters, back and forth, each time pulling the nets up empty. Nothing, no fish, no food. I can imagine the hopelessness that Peter was feeling, the impetuous Peter, I can't even get this right anymore. After a night of fruitless fishing, tired, hungry, weary, with the morning dew bringing a damp chill to their skin, through the mist of the early morning dawn, they hear a voice from the shore. Hey, friends, have you caught anything yet? A curt response from the disciples. No. Perhaps it's more about the frustration than its meaning. Then the voice from the shore comes again and says, Throw out your nets on the right side of the boat. Then you'll catch some. And in their current state of mind, their tiredness, their frustration, I could imagine that such a vice from the shore to throw their nets on the right side of the boat when they have been fishing all night and caught nothing would have normally brought some strong words of derision but there must have been something in that voice something as it bounced across the water to that small fishing boat something of authority something uh, of hope and they decided to throw the nets over the right side of the boats the boat as instructed we all know the story. The nets are full of fish, so full in fact that they could hardly haul them in. And perhaps it was the marrying of the familiar voice with the miraculous that connected the dots. And there was a moment of realisation, of clarity, and John says to Peter, It is the Lord. And with the small fishing boat laden with fish, they slowly head back to shore, back to where the voice came from. Slowly the boat cut through the water, their destination marked by the solitary figure on the shore. 
The speed of progress was not enough for an impetuous Peter, though, and he couldn't take it anymore. His heart was pounding, bursting, longing to get back to Jesus, to quench this longing guilt in his heart, to ask for forgiveness. And he launches himself out of the boat, and he swims and scrambles and eventually wades ashore. But Jesus is not there on shore waiting to tell the disciples off for the lack of faith or for running and hiding, for their fuming of hopelessness. Jesus knows that they're tired and hungry and weary, and he has a fire and breakfast ready for them. And I can imagine Peter wouldn't have much of an appetite, perhaps nibbling at his fish, looking over at his master, the holes in his hands and his feet, longing, so longing to speak to Jesus. And Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus turns to Peter and asks Peter three times if he loves him, perhaps reflecting the three times Peter denied Jesus, each time stripping that sin and guilt from Peter's heart. Then Jesus gives Peter the commission to lead and build his church. Jesus entrusts Peter with the commission of his people, of his church. Not as a man full of hope, with everything worked out. Not as a man without sin. Not under the condition that when Peter is older and wiser, then and only then will you take the task on. But as the man as he is at that time, with all his imperfections, his weaknesses, his doubt, without condition, just as he is. And this is the same for us today. We don't have to earn God's favour, prove that we are worthy. Our relationship with God is through a covenant with Jesus. It isn't a contract. A contract is based on both parties adhering to specific rules and conditions. A covenant is based on us accepting the free gift of God, his son, Jesus. Although Peter may have thought his hope was finished, God's plans for him were for good and not for disaster. We are to give Peter a future and a hope. For Peter, it was not the end. Instead, it was the beginning of something huge and significant, a movement that started the church that we see today. You see, our perspective needs to be one where we see ourselves in the bigger biblical picture and discover our purpose as the people of God, as his children. If we look at the ministry of Jesus and realise that we are part of the multitude that he had died for, then the cross becomes not just a key moment of history, it becomes part of our story today. If our focus and attention is solely fixed on our current moment of life, we may miss the bigger picture, the bigger plans that God has for us. Because he sees the full picture. It's easy for us in 2020 to look back in the Bible and see the words that Jesus spoke. It is finished. And now know that it wasn't the end. It was only the beginning. It marked the start of the New Testament church. A new covenant where our future and hope is in the risen Christ Jesus. Because he has defeated death and sin on our behalf. And if we have put our hope in the things of this world, we might ask ourselves, is this the end? But no matter where you are in life or what craziness you have done, Jesus is ready to meet you at dawn with plans for good, 
and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. And he is the start and finisher of our story. God bless.